Tonight on Hops and Box Office Flops, DC finally put out a really good, unique property that's a fun and well-acted movie. And nobody went to see it because they screwed us too many times already. Sorry, George Lopez. Hops and Box Office Flops. A place where we can celebrate the underdog films, the bombs, the disasters, the much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. Good evening and welcome to the 226th episode of Hops and Box Office Flops, the internet's premier podcast for bad movies and mostly good beer. Tonight, we are discussing the first entry into our Hops and Superhero Flops, the 2023 edition, with Blue Beetle. I, Bling Blake, am the evil CEO that these plots require. And with me, as always, are the chain-gun-toting Nana, the Thunderous Wizard. There's a lot of things you don't know about your Thunderous Nana, Blake. Yeah, let's keep it that way, too. And, of course, don't forget your crazy conspiracy theory fan uncle who loves tacos so much he named his truck after one. Back from his sabbatical, we have Chumpzilla. Hey, first off, there's nothing wrong with naming your truck after a taco. Everybody's driven to Tacoma, calls it a taco. That's just a fact. And secondly, this movie didn't come out late enough because if it had, it would have been primed to expose the truth be- behind, that is, the deep state plot to see Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift win the Super Bowl. Like, America wasn't ready for the truth. I'm just saying. Yeah, sure. I, uh, okay, so tonight we are drinking Blue from Sweetwater Brewing in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, do you guys need me to explain why we're drinking Blue? Yeah, I don't get it. Because it's called it's it's called is it, Blue. Is it a bug? Oh, the, the color. Oh, and the, and the and and the movie is is Blue, Blue. Beetle. Got it. Got it. Clever. Clever. I'm not. I'm not getting it. What am I missing? What am I missing? It's subtle. Th- thematically, it's on point because of the. So, Blue is from Sweetwater Brewing out of Atlanta, Georgia. And as you may have surmised by its name, it comes in a blue can. And it is a blueberry wheat beer, which, if I'm being honest, is not something that I would normally look for on the shelf. Uh, blue, blueberry wheat beer is not what I would say is is up my alley, but I, I couldn't pass. I mean, it was called blue. How do I pass that up? I mean, yeah, I mean, let's be honest here, Dr. Blake. Uh, it's much easier to find a blueberry beer than a beetle beer. So, yeah, I, I came close and I, I if I had been willing to drive a little bit further away from home, we could have been drinking Carlsberg tonight. Uh, and I'll, I think I told you this anecdote on the group text the other day, but there, there is a, a a beetle that researchers at the University of uh, somewhere, Stockholm. No, it was in Denmark. Whatever. It doesn't matter. They found this beetle. Copenhagen. Copenhagen. University of Copenhagen. Thank you. Uh, they found this beetle, and its, it's schlong is shaped like a bottle opener. 
And so they named the Beetle after Carlsberg beer, which is Denmark's biggest brewer. So we're drinking blue from Sweetwater because I couldn't get Carlsberg. And okay. we, but we still managed to talk about Beetle Dongs. So that's a first. That is a podcast first. That is a hops and box office first, right there, folks. Beetle Dongs. Beetle Dongs. Yeah. Usually we just talk about berry dongs, as in berry Kyogen. <laughs> I do. Well, Saltmer in there. Hey, you know what? This is the superhero uh, month. No Eternals missed opportunity there. Yeah. Speaking of Blue Dongs and Watchmen, Blue comes in at a Captain Cash disapproved 4.6 ABV. And as I mentioned, these, these wheat beers and especially fruity beers aren't usually my cup of tea. But yeah, let's give it a try. It. it is pouring a hazy yellow with a couple fingers of white head. And yeah, if I, if I'm being honest, it's um it's better than I thought it would be. There's, there's definitely blueberry, but it is not overpowering. Um, this is actually a pretty, pretty crisp light beer. It's not, it's not bad. I don't, I don't hate it. It reminds me of the, uh, the blue ice cream they serve at Kings Island a little bit, which a local brewery did make a beer after that and it would just tasted like melted ice cream that was carbonated this is this is decent uh sweetwater does say this is their breakfast beer and so yeah maybe maybe one of these sundays i'll, I'll save one of these for uh some blueberry pancakes and blueberry beer uh it's not bad i'll enjoy it so how many bad movies would i be willing to s- sit through while drinking it i'll give it two it's not bad it's like i said pleasantly surprised Okay, I'll say this, Blake. Uh, Sweetwater does make some good beers, and that is local to me. I'm sorry I didn't pick any up, uh, but I am drinking a Yingling Black and Tan. So mm. we've got the two basic colors of the Blue Beetles costume covered. You got the blue, I got the black. But uh, I've said it before in the pod, and I'll say it again: if you ever get a chance to visit the brewery here in Atlanta, that Sweetwater Brewery, it's a great visit, great tap room. You should check it out. Uh, and so, to you, Blake. Cheers. Cheers. All right, well, moving on, let's get into the details of Blue Beetle here. It was written by Gareth Dunnett Alcocer. And uh, apologies in advance, listeners. I'm going to probably uh, completely butcher all of these um, Hispanic actors and actresses' names. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm very sorry in advance. It was directed by Angel Manuel Soto. Uh, so these are two relatively new names to us, uh, domestic audiences, but they're also definitely two up-and-comers with some street cred uh, in in Mexico. It stars Zolo Miguel Mariduena, Bruna, or Bruna, you wouldn't know her unless you like Brazilian soap operas, but I may start watching if she's going to be in all of them, Marquezine. Becky, Yellow Power Ranger G, Damien Gilberto Alcazar, and George Poppy Lopez. Don't forget Adriana Nana Barraza, Belisa the Sister Escobedo, and El Padilla Anna in Predator, Carrillo. And don't forget Harvey Guillermo Guillen and Susan Louise Sarandon. That's a heavy for the baddie, huh? 
Yeah, yeah, Tim Tim uh, Robbins' mom. Wait, <laughs> isn't it isn't it his wife? Oh, oh. that's really the joke. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's a Family Guy joke. I stole it. Okay, she's smoking hot in Bull Durham, though. Oh yeah, that 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 made prepubescent Chumpzilla feel funny. Like my parents may watch that movie probably a little too young, and I was like, why is why is the old lady make me feel weird? She wasn't that old. She made me feel almost as weird as Kevin Costner. <clears throat> anyway. So our cast, you know, we've got a few anchors uh, as far as names go, but mostly all new faces to American audiences, which I personally think is great. But I do have questions about that later. We'll save that for the lingering segment. Blue Beetle was released in August of last year. It only made 130.8 million on a budget uh, estimated between 104 and 125 million, which makes it the lowest grossing DCEU film, which is sad because I think it's one of the better ones. It does sit at a 78% on Rotten Tomatoes with a 91% audience score. And those ratings feel pretty spot on to me. What do you guys think? Yeah, this should definitely be a certified fresh film this is a good comic book movie it's actually and i'll talk about it more later but like this is what i want out of comic book movies comic book movies have largely lost their way they're not at all about story and character for the most part they're about mindless spectacle and they feel extremely vapid this i think feels a lot smaller and intimate and it benefits greatly from that so yeah, I, I think to your point, uh, T-Dubs, it's both a great family film and it's very much a movie about family. And uh, those are elements that always work, right? Goonies. It doesn't matter what the genre is. Like if you hit that demographic mark with the, the humor and the, the story, but also like make it have heart. You know, whether it's a blood family or just a group of friends, like this movie checks both those boxes. Like Fast and the Furious, basically. Which it's, it, it's all about family. I yeah, mean, and, and, less and honestly, Corona here, but that's okay. Yeah, a little more Modelo. Was it Modelo? They, they did. I forget what beer they drank. They also, yeah. there's not a lot of like drinking scenes. He should no. drink with his dad. Um, yeah. Um, I thought there was a beer scene like early on with the uncle maybe, but regardless, uh, but no, to, to your point, Blaine, though, this movie, I think the problem here is DC got the formula right just a little too late because I hate to say it. And I don't think it's really a knock. It's just a consequence of the source material and the character. This movie feels very derivative of Ant-Man. And I, I don't think there's any way to avoid that trap. But if this movie had come out earlier, and I think it could have capitalized on that wave a little bit, it would have been more popular. Now it feels like we've already seen this, which is unfortunate because it's still a good movie. I feel less Ant-Man. There's some shades of Black Panther in here with him and, you know, talking to somebody in sort of a space between spaces which was yeah, no, there's, plot, definitely but that. But there's, the, there's little bits and pieces of a lot of different comic yeah. book movies iron man for example too which which, which ant-man also cribs from but you've got that like corporate Heavily. technology dichotomy there yeah it's yeah it's it's like that's probably one of the things is like well we've seen this before 
uh, it, it, it's not stale, but it just wasn't, uh, it didn't feel new enough. And what, what I love about the movie is what we haven't seen before is that this movie is very much a, a celebration of like Hispanic culture and family values. And we haven't gotten that. Yeah, they do a good job with that. And I think, uh, like you both said, it it has heart. And I think that's why, I don't know, like you said, it's, it's more than just mindless spectacle. There There is a story here and there are characters that we do actually care about, which is nice. Let's get into our one sentence descriptions. Before we do, I'm going to give you the IMDB description, which says, an alien scarab chooses Jaime Reyes to be its symbiotic host bestowing the recent college graduate with a suit of armor that's capable of extraordinary powers, forever changing his destiny as he becomes the superhero known as Blue Beetle. I mean, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah. Jumpy, what do you have for us? Uh, Ant-Man makes a run for the border. Oh, uh, all right, so, yeah. Uh, I would just say a young college graduate finds his calling when he discovers an extraterrestrial extraterrestrial weapon that transforms him into the superhero known as Blue Beetle. A movie filled with loads of heart and one giant bug fart. There is a big old bug fart. Big Wait, old it, bug fart. Was it the brain bug? Was it afraid? It was... It was not the brain bug. It was just a, it was night owl ship. Uh, uh, I, I just had a, a recent college graduate is thrust into the life of a superhero when he becomes Blue Beetle. Sorry, I didn't have anything good and funny this week. It was, it's kind of straightforward. A young man discovers the drawbacks to having an alien inside your brain is it always knows when you have boners. <laughs> Kaji, duh. Yeah. Uh easy easy buddy easy down <laughs> slow my blood down kaji you know i mean you gotta think about it how how fortuitous for young jaime all he wanted to do was try to get a job from this hot lady and the next thing you know he's got a superhero bug implanted in his spine i mean it's kind of a win-win not only not only does he get this super powerful space suit but the super hot Brazilian chick who offers him an internship ends up having a crush on him. So it's like, hey. Yeah, a real internship. I would gladly have a weird blue thing emerging out of my spine for that trade. Right? I'm doing that right now for nothing. So, yeah. Good trade. Yeah, it's a good trade. Um, I'll just say this now. I, I think one of the things this movie does really well is nails the balance between the superhero world and the home life thing. Marvel, I think Sam Raimi did a pretty good job with it in the, his Spider-Man trilogy, but I don't think that they Tom Holland's not really nailed this yet in the MCU in no, any of his films, no. even the Sony ones and the MCU. Like this movie has some excellent Peter Parker stuff in it, which again, most MCU movies have stopped doing this portion well. It's just yeah. like, hey. Weird space plot. Get Go. to the terrible CGI green screening. You know what? I mean, I've said it before. Endgame definitely redeemed uh, Age of Ultron for me. But to your point, T-Dubs, 
Marvel movies now don't take a break to go to Hawkeye's farmhouse. That just doesn't happen anymore. And this movie does a really good job of spending time with uh, Haney and his family. Who, who's Haney? Ha- ha- Jaime? Creepy Jaime. Jaime. No, yeah. Jaime. <laughs> yeah, I, it's a it's a really good device to help us care about the characters, right? Yeah, and they do a good job of telling that story. I think they call that character development. Weird. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into the plot. Starts in the remote Antarctic plains. I don't know. When members of Cord Industries, led by the company's co-founder and CEO, Victoria Cord, locate an ancient alien artifact known as the Scarab. Meanwhile, Jaime Reyes returns to his hometown of Palmera City after graduating from Gotham Law University, only to learn that his family is facing eviction from their home due to financial difficulties. Hold on, stop right here. Why didn't Bruce Wayne buy the bank? Well, we haven't cast this Bruce Wayne yet, so he doesn't okay. exist really. And also, Touché. he wasn't a superhero yet. Touche. Okay. Yeah. Also, you know these the- rich assholes all go to bat for each other. He's Team Cord. Until right. <laughs> she turns crazy, until uh-huh. she's no longer useful to him. He's Fair definitely enough. on Victoria Cord's flight manifest, no doubt. I mean, so is her son, Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins. So Jaime's sister, Milagro, manages to get him a job at Victoria's mansion, coincidentally. However, both of them are fired after Jaime stops a confrontation between Victoria and her smoking hot niece, Jenny. Jenny later tells Jaime to meet her at Cord Tower the next day to discuss a quote-unquote job opportunity. Yeah, that's when he goes, Jenny, I got your number. The next day, Jenny finds that Victoria is using the Scarab for her one-man Army Corps projects. She steals the Scarab and avoids security by giving it to Jaime, hidden inside a big belly burger to go box. At home, Jaime's family. Those are tasty burgers. It's not quite a big Kahuna burger, but big belly. They do well in the in the DC DC world. Tasty burger. At home, Jaime's family convinces him to open the scarab box. And when Jaime touches it, the scarab activates and fuses with him, encasing him in an armored exoskeleton. This was the part of the movie where my four-year-old wandered into the room and left screaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, this is a, yeah, it's a good balance of like physical comedy and body horror. A little bit of body horror. Definitely some great physical comedy from my boy, George Lopez. Lopez holding it down. He is firing on all cylinders. He's working five pitches in this movie, and every one of them is thrown for a strike. He's doing great, man. He's doing a great job. So the scare pieces with him. He's now got his Iron Man, Ant-Man suit on. Iron Spider situation. Jaime later finds Jenny for answers while rescuing her from Victoria's armed forces. She tells Jaime that the Scarab is a sentient weapon and it has willingly chosen Jaime to be its host. And now with the help of Jaime's uncle Rudy, Jaime and Jenny break into Cord Tower to get a smartwatch that once belonged to Jenny's father, Ted. Ted Cord, the 
previous Blue Beetle, which nobody really knows about at this point well, in time. Yeah, he was the first Blue it's Beetle. It's in it's in lore, yeah. And you do get a don't you get a shot of like a Blue Beetle old TV show? We get his we get his suit it's like a when we go teaser, to his house. And then we also get Dan Garrett's suit in the background. No, but like house. when they when they when Uncle Rudy um takes over the security camps at Court Industries, there's a whole so bunch of different clips flashing. That is actually from a uh, old Mexican uh, comedy cartoon. Well, there's uh, that, but there's like more clips. And I oh, uh, oh yeah, maybe co- the Colorado. Uh, yeah, that one. The, the guy that the B suits are based off of in Saturday yes. Night Live and the uh, and, and the, the Simpsons. Simpsons and the Simpsons. Yeah, yeah. and it was uh, basically no, making I, fun of American superhero shows. Kind of. I think what you're thinking of T Dubs is in. I think it's in a Constantine cartoon. There is a fake Blue Beetle '60s style cartoon that's really good and funny, but it's like a little like clip inside of the the TV, the cartoon movie or the animated film or whatever. But uh, yeah, no, but Ted Cord, he is. And fun fact, folks, here's I'm going to nerd out here. T Dubs, back me up. You don't know this, Blake, I bet, but you you mentioned uh, Blue Dong earlier, right? Uh, in The Watchmen, uh-huh. and you mentioned Night Owl Ship. <clears throat> Maybe you do know this. Night Owl is based on Blue Beetle. Absolutely. Yeah, because uh, when uh, DC purchased the Charleston Comics properties and uh, Blue Beetle came over and and other characters as well, uh, the guys that did Watchmen, they wanted to to kill those characters off and like, you know, pervert them in this project they were working on. And DC said, no, we just bought these guys. We're going to use them. Maybe we think so you can't be weird with them or kill them. So they ended up creating a complete parallel set of characters, effectively based on those Charleston comics. And yes, Ted Cord was the Charleston comics Blue Beetle. Well, there I- you go. Yep. So this is when we meet. Uh, they, they get attacked while they're while they're at the tower, and they get attacked by Victoria's bodyguard Ignacio Carapax, who has the OMAC prototype infused into his body. We learn the name of the Scarab. Kaji Da, and it actually takes over Jaime and, and fights Carapax. It's crazy. So then they go back to Jenny's house, and she uses her dad's watch to find his secret lab and tell us and Jaime that Ted Cord was originally Blue Beetle. But the, scare, think, but the Scarab really... didn't choose him. He essentially no. was like Batman. He had a lot of money and made a lot of cool shit. Yeah, right. Yeah, he was not the same see... kind of Blue Beetle as Jaime. Yeah, we see the old school costume, right? That we, we get that in the background. We do. We get we yeah, get all this stuff. And we also get cool. Dan Garrett's costume yeah. back there. So yeah, so they eventually uh, see Victoria's helicopter going towards Jaime's home. So Jaime becomes Blue Beetle. It gets back to protect his family. As they're escaping, however, Jaime's father dies from a heart attack. And this allows Carapax to capture Jaime. Jaime is taken to the island fortress because you got to have an island fortress if you're an evil, rich, yeah, dude. Bad when you're person. building a secret army of, you know, robots to basically destroy everyone. You can't just do that shit it, like you your regular to, lab. Yeah, that's got to be in international waters for sure. Yeah, you got to have some sort of diplomatic immunity you got like a backhand deal back alley deal with like a third world warlord that you can have this island full of killing machines it's all good it's no problem 
I mean, they pay their rent. I'm not asking any questions. That's right. So this is where we we see that that Victoria's big plan is to basically strap Jaime to a machine and strip Kajida from him and install it into Carapax to make her super soldier thing work. I don't know. This part of the plan seemed a little flimsy. I don't understand the, how they can know how any of this works, but whatever. It's, it's not that kind it's of a, I mean, like obviously Ted Cord did a lot of experimenting with the Blue Beetle and was able to sort of transfer that tech into some of his devices and that's sort of what she's doing as well is creating a, a, a piece of armor that would fuse with its host that said i mean carapax's original armor is pretty badass like you could throw that dude in just about any war zone right now and he's gonna wreck some shit oh yeah he's gonna do just fine give him some regular old body armor and let him go to work mm. so this is when uh jenny and the reyes family get Ted's bug ship out and they use his weapons arsenal to storm the island. Jaime reunites with his family, then fights Carapax. Jaime nearly kills Carapax before Kajida reveals to Jaime Carapax's memories and basically how Victoria made him a slave. This is another thing that hasn't been done well in recent comic book movies. It generally boils down to there's one like small moment where you might feel for the villain, like Shang-Chi, for example. Oh, the dad just wants to reunite with the mom. Nope, still a psychopath. And it like doesn't work. Like here, you see that this dude has been basically used and abused by this woman his entire life and manipulated. And it also strikes home with a lot of the dirty dealing that America has done in Central America and, and other regions. And I think it just works so well. You just feel so bad for that dude. Yeah, I mean, straight up, like he's, we look at his memories. He's a child soldier. He has terrible accidents. He gets enslaved by Victoria with all these experimental surgeries and things. And yeah, he's a, he's a very broken man. And we saw some of the emotional manipulation earlier in the movie, too, with those two. Yeah, I, I think the only thing that movie fails to do is to set that up a little better. Like you could you could have built up to it a little bit better, and still pulled off the the reveal at the end. But I think yeah that's yeah you just kind of get right. his you just get his locket. Yeah, there's a tiny yeah. bit of foreshadowing in that conversation he has yeah. with Victoria earlier on. You're like, oh, she's obviously manipulating him. But it feels like total, like like, like Jenny syndrome, right? Maybe Jenny drops a few more hints. Like, why are you doing this? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. they could have left it like mysterious and they're like oh that's it you know but it's still uh like you said too that was very black panthery you know you kind of get that little bit of like oh the, the villain has a point you know or i understand his position or i well, i feel for him not he's, her i feel like for him 100 for him yeah you never yeah, feel I mean. for victoria <laughs> no 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 no, no I, she's I, awful I, yeah i meant for uh i'm letting uh, the whole staff compacts. at that country club shit in her bathroom absolutely she sucks. Or, yeah, or in her coffee, either or. Yeah, for sure. So at, at this point, uh, Jaime spares Carapax's life, who then grabs Victoria, sets his suit to explode, and walks into the fire, destroying the island himself, Victoria, all of it. So it's good. As the Reyes family escapes from the island, they, of course, finally mourn their father. 
And in the aftermath, Jenny becomes the new CEO of Cord Industries and promises to repair the damage caused to the Reyes family. Yeah, then happily ever after, Jaime kisses Jenny and they fly off to the Cord estate. Now, and of course, in a cool mid-credits scene, yeah, we get a distorted recording broadcasting in Ted's secret laboratory attempting to inform Jenny that he is still alive. Where's Ted? Where is Ted? So really hope we get a sequel. Really, really do. Yeah, um, let's um, let's save that because I have some questions about that uh, coming up in our next segment. So before we take our first break, how many beers are needed to enjoy Blue Beetle? Thunderous Wizard. Oh, this is a, uh, a zero beerer. You don't need beers for this movie. I mean, I watched this. I took my kids to see this. He immediately became their favorite superhero for a eh, small amount of time. It went right back to Spider-Man. But they still love Blue Beetle, and they love this movie. And it's definitely four high-enjoyment beers. It's two hours. So you can have four beers in two hours, and they're all enjoyment beers. There's no pain beers about this movie. This was one of my favorite superhero movies in recent memory. Uh, as we go through this month, I like basically all the movies to varying degrees, except for one, which we'll talk about. But uh, I thought this was, if not Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is the best superhero movie of last year or Spider-Verse, which is honestly the best. I This stacks up. I would rather watch this than Guardians 3. I mean, as heartbreaking as the dad stuff is, uh, it's a lot less difficult to get through than the animal abuse. So. Yeah, that says probably too much about you and us, but I agree completely. Well, you know, his dad, like you get that great scene with him, right? Like you don't hear him screaming what's happening as he gets massacred. <laughs> He's got you know, like metal legs. Like... I, I, uh, uh, yeah, no, I, uh, Guardians 3, a little more intense. For a little sure. more intense. Chumpy, how many beers? Oh, this is, you know, two hours is a bit of a stretch, but... No, this is a fun movie. Uh, I think it's paced relatively well uh, for the two hours. Probably could have been a little tighter, like maybe an hour 45. Um, but yeah, two beers, two enjoyment beers. The movie's got a lot of heart. And that goes a long way for this kind of genre flick, right? Like, it's not just a bunch of CGI garbage and gobbledygook. It's real people. It makes sense. It's got a decent plot. It's got some layers to it. Yeah, man, two beers. This is a good movie. It's one. It's one of the best DC EU movies that I've seen. Right on. I agree with you both, which doesn't make for great discussion, unfortunately. But yeah, I'm right in the middle. I'm going to call it three enjoyment beers. No pain. It's a good movie. I I enjoyed it. You guys already said it perfectly. So we'll let that take us into our first break we're going to refresh our beers and you might want to do the same because while this movie is three enjoyment beers usually our pod is at least two pain so get one for yourself and we'll see you after the break welcome back listener we are continuing our look at 2023's blue beetle We've gone over the plot, but we have some lingering questions. Gentlemen, I sounds like, based on our beer ratings, we all agree that this is a good movie. So why didn't it do better? 
so I have a couple of theories about this. One, I think, you know, James Gunn is well-intentioned. I'd say that in air quotes because I really don't believe it was well-intentioned, but him announcing his entire slate to come kneecapped every movie that hadn't come out yet. Because oh, yeah. wh why would you care? Y he said soft reboot. No, you're soft rebooting the stuff that you made. And by that, I mean, you're only keeping the shit you made, which to me strikes a little disingenuous, whatever. So that hurt this movie. Although, uh, reportedly he will be back and, uh, we'll talk about that in a moment, but the strike, the strike killed it. These poor, you know, this poor kid, this is his first big movie, right? This is his big screen launching pad. Obviously Cobra Kai is big. Um, also the, 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 uh, the female co-star Runa, they couldn't promote this movie. That sucks. They couldn't do interviews. They couldn't go on a tour. They couldn't pr have a premiere for this movie. All that hurt this movie. I think people that have seen it know how good it is and people will continue to find it. And I think it, in the long run, it'll be very fondly remembered. Obviously it, it's a flop. There's no denying that. Uh, but yeah, the strike, it killed it. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. I mean, we were we were at Comic-Con last July and we didn't see a single poster, flyer, sticker, anything. I mean, that also hurt. They didn't promote. It really. wasn't their fault. Yeah, again, it, yeah, that wasn't their fault. They really did not promote strike. this movie on their own either. You know, they put all their eggs in the Flash basket and we'll talk more about that next week when we do the Flash. But, hmm. you know, DC did not even attempt to market this or Aquaman. No toys. No, the, the only toys for Blue Beetle are McFarlane toys. And, uh, you know, even Aquaman got his figures. And obviously the Flash got toys as well. And Black yes. Adam got toys. You know, I'm old enough to remember when everybody said Black Adam was the huge flop. And that made more than basically everything but Aquaman 2 that came out for DC this the past year and a half. Yeah, I, I think you got to look at this in a little bit of perspective. Just in the comic book genre in general, you've got Aquaman 2 and you've got the Marvels that have come out after Blue Beetle, obviously. But still, those are sequels to billion-dollar movies, and they both tanked. So I think there's two things fighting you know, there's two like you know headwinds that Blue Beetle was fighting against. One, like you said, you've got the strike conditions and DC's turmoil, you know, all just not really helping the movies marketing. And then you got the fact that even sequels to known quantities, known entities that have made a billion dollars, aren't being successful in the current environment. So I don't think it's a judgment on the quality of this film. It's just it came out the wrong time. There's it, it didn't have a chance to honestly, be financially I, successful. Yeah, I think most people, at least the general audience that latched on to the MCU as this thing, this cultural phenomena, they stopped giving a shit after Endgame. I mean, I love comic books and I stopped giving a shit for the most part. It didn't help that most of the stuff that came out after that for Marvel wasn't very good and that created fatigue but i think there's a general comic book fatigue all right so on to our second question 
if you've watched Cobra Kai, listener, then you definitely recognized Jaime uh, Zolo Mariduena. But he's definitely not what I would call a household name, I, I don't think. Do you think a bigger star saves this movie? And if you could have cast anybody, would you have done somebody different? I don't think so. I think he's the perfect casting. I also think it's less about a big name actor and it's more about a character thing. Like we've reached a point in time where Blue Beetle movies are being made. Like when Spider-Man was being made, everyone knows who Spider-Man is. You can cast anybody to play Spider-Man. They're there to see Spider-Man, not the actor. Uh, This is just a lesser known character unless you really are into comics and DC comics in particular. I certainly did not know Blue Beetle ahead of us talking about it internally when they announced it, however long ago that was, last year, two years ago. I think that's one of the coolest things about comic book movies, like historically. They, much like horror movies, have always been a showcase for new faces. And like, I think Marvel, I mean, okay, um, the best example of this is Christopher Reeve as Superman. That was a huge deal to cast that role. And they went with an unknown because they felt like that would have the best chance of success because it's a clean slate, right? No preconceived notions of the actor coming into it. People could focus on the character. And then Marvel effectively did the same thing with Chris Hemsworth and uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. was on a huge rebound there. That was a big career recovery for him. And Chris Evans as Captain America. I mean, they really built that foundation on guys that weren't huge, huge names at the time. And uh, I think that's one of the cool things about the genre is that it's a great chance for new up and coming actors to make their mark and put their stamp on a character that people love. Uh, Tom Holland's a great example of it, right? He was in a couple other movies, but, you know, Spider-Man made him big and he's gone on to do really big things now. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I thought, uh, I thought, Jaime was was cast very well and, and did a good job. I was just trying to think of things that could have hurt this in terms of people coming to see it at the box office because we yeah. do have a lesser known property, obviously. Yeah. Do you no. do you need a stronger actor or a stronger name to bring people into this property? You know, I think what kills this is the fact that, as T Dubs pointed out, that it had no lifeline to the broader DC universe a cameo would have helped some sort of indication that it was part of a broader universe a shared villain something anything that would have tied it in to make it feel like oh like i need to see this because it's part of the bigger picture and i i get it that's the whole franchise fatigue we're all complaining about but at the end of the day that gimmick puts butts in the seats And that's how you pull people into lesser known characters with new actors. You have to know that it's going somewhere. Well, and to your point, nobody knows where this is going because technically James Gunn has said that this is the first official character of his version of the DCU. Right. But the next movie doesn't come out till July, 2025. Yeah. So we just don't know where it's going. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much that has to be laid out and like, you know, get good luck with that. Like that. Hopefully he's successful and his version of some of these characters get their fair shake, but yeah, it's just, it's just, uh, it's tough. And they look, Marvel's not doing any better right now. Like the King dynasty is a disaster. 
Like that's they, more about Jonathan Majors than the story. What? No, it's both because the characters, both, yeah, the characters yeah, work right. now too, but they didn't do a good job of leading up to it. Like the Kang Dynasty, it's not that's not like a singular story. They're like, oh yeah, we know what's going to happen. It's like, uh, so what's so what are we doing here? Anyway, that's a that's a story for the Ant Man pod. I will put a yes. pin in that. We yeah, can come back that. to it. Let's yeah. uh, let's get back to Double B, Blue Beetle. So getting back to Blue Beetle, you know, I I mentioned on the, in the last question that there aren't really too many big names in this film. Arguably, the two biggest names in it, probably not arguably, factually, the two biggest names in this are George Lopez and Susan Sarandon, at least for domestic audiences. How does Susan you got the Sar- Beverly you got the Beverly Hills Chihuahua man? Come on, yeah, right, Pepe. Uh, how does Susan Sarandon do as a villain for you? So is it working? This is a true anecdote. I, when I took my family to see this movie, uh, in theaters, my wife looked over at me in the first 15 minutes. She goes, man, Susan Sarandon sucks in this movie. (laughs) And I think that she kind of sucks throughout. She gets a little bit stronger as it goes on, but early on, man, she is struggling to like, say these lines with any sort of conviction. You can just tell she did not give a shit. She didn't care at all. Because she wasn't, I mean, again, like, and I I have no reason to believe that Susan Sarandon is anything less than a nice person, right? I mean, I don't know, but she's in this big... She's kind of turned into a cranker. Well, she's uh, in this big budget action movie with, with, and having scenes with nobody that has a IMDb page of any Like, I feel like she was just like, are you kidding me with this shit? Like, are you putting me in here with the B squad right now? I feel like she didn't understand the assignment to a certain degree. Like, probably too much green screen for her. You know, this is not Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver nails this. Weaver could have crushed it. Yeah. Yeah. Susan Sarandon's like, what are we doing again? The blue yeah, what? What's she? Is it? What, she how many struck zeros me are on as, the check? Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah she I'll, walked I'll up to it. the director after having to say Lieutenant Carapax, like, get me, get me a fucking double latte on the double. I, I've had enough of this shit. <laughs> Unfortunately, she just comes across more like like she wants to speak to the manager, not like a billionaire evil industrialist. Like she's she's definitely more Karen than Lex uh, Luthor. It's a fine line, though. I think I think she's like uh, I, I think there's yeah. To to your point there, Doctor Blake, I I feel like there's something there that almost works. She almost hates it so much that that you can tell she's a bad person not just a bad actor <laughs> yeah susan Tarandon. i mean she kind of does nail like the total dipshit capitalist who hates minorities vibe though so yeah, she's crushing yeah, that yeah, yeah yeah intentionally or otherwise but yes this uh I, I did I, not... I, just hold on here just really to your point t-dubs your wife is not wrong She's not yeah. supposed to be likable. So, yeah, she is terrible acting and otherwise. All right. So I I was going to save this for the quiz, but I didn't didn't put it in. So I'm going to say this now. Do you guys know who was also in the running for the Victoria Cord role? Oh, I think I saw it somewhere and I, I can't remember now. It was Sharon Stone. Hasn't she already done that, though? Hasn't she already been evil CEO and Catwoman? 
Uh, she, right. So she became Catwoman. And so that was funny because uh, so it was Sharon Stone. She had to drop out for some other. I can't remember why. It wasn't anything negative. But what I didn't know was that Sharon Stone and Susan Sarandon were both in the role or in the running for uh, Vicky Vale in the 89 Batman. Oh, Sarandon. No, that wouldn't work for me. No. Nope. Not, 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 yeah, no. Maybe Stone, I, Stone I could see. Um, Basinger crushed it, though. She I heard Sharon Stone is incredible as a human being. Just want to throw that out there. So, I believe it. She's in total recall. So, but, uh, in my mind, you're a winner regardless. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. All right. So, the big question I alluded to it earlier are we going to get a standalone sequel to this? Is, now, is Gunn going to keep his word and keep Blue Beetle in his new universe? I don't know if I'm blown up this question, but Zolo did just come out and say that he is coming back. So I assume he's been told that he's coming back. Now, that said, Henry Cavill was told he could go do an hour-long interview about returning a Superman, and uh, he's not hes not Superman I, anymore. So, <laughs> so, so hold on. I, I'm going to bet a dollar here. I, I think... It's not going to be a standalone, uh, Doctor Blake. It, it's going to be a Booster Gold Blue Beetle movie. I mean, that'd be cool too. But I, is he going to come back? Yeah, I think he's coming back for that's sure. right up Guns Alley. Um, that's that's his kind of content, you know, and his kind of story. Um, and there's a lot of fan interest in that. And I, I think that's the most likely sequel, much like, you know, the Deadpool and Wolverine movie that's coming out. Yeah, it's technically Deadpool 3, but come on, it's a it's a buddy thing. I can see them doing that. They can bring him back and bring in Booster Gold, who's kind of like a secondary Justice League member in the Silver Age. Like that, they, they could pull that off. It'd be, yeah, he has the vibe that this movie really nailed too, which is right, a, yeah, a lot it, of fun, a lot of yeah, jokes. This, yeah, this work. version of the character, yeah, it, it it dovetails well with the Booster Gold. Do you know who Booster Gold is, Blake? No. And no, it's not Turbo Man's furry pal Booster. No, yeah, different, different sense. We hate basically, you, Booster! Yeah, basically he's a dickhead from the future that comes, he time travels to the past with his future technology because he wants to be a superhero and, and like be cooler than everybody else. So he's Cable. Without the yeah. inner struggle, but but, mo but more of like a, a bad guy from a, a '80s uh, yeah. ski movie. Cable, if he was uh, Jefferson from Married with Children, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's kind of a douche. Um, but like for some reason, he got paired with Blue Beetle, so they're like kind of like a somewhat of a heterosexual life partner deal. All right. Let's go. Yeah, but yeah, that but and, but the tone of the humor between the two of them—it's straight up James Gunn's alley, and it fits the tone of this movie, like T Dub said. So that'd be my prediction. All right, fair enough. So this is a much bigger question. We've talked a lot about Gunn and his new universe. How are we feeling about this? How are we feeling about the direction of the DC universe? Do and we kind of talked about this earlier as well. Do do people even care anymore? Are all these movies going to flop moving forward? I think they are facing a very steep battle, just because of the the sense I'm getting of a general fatigue with this stuff. Now, Superman's my favorite superhero. Like 
if you look at my office, Superman statues are everywhere. I have Superman tattooed in four different places on my body. I want to be as excited as humanly possible about Superman legacy, but I don't know. Uh, everybody who listens to the pod, which is, you know, not a lot of people, but enough people who know me knew that I was like, I really loved Batman versus Superman. I really loved Zack Snyder's justice league. I would have loved to see how that story played out. And then kind of the, the mind screw that we went through over these years as DC fans with all the films and all the shakeups and all the meddling with movies and this, that, and the other thing, like you just get tired, really tired of it all. So stability, if, which gun seems like he's bringing, that's exciting, but I would have just rather seen Superman succumb to the anti-life equation. And then eventually they go on a time heist and bring him back to his senses. And then they fight dark side. I thought that was going to be fucking awesome. So I'm right there with you. Um, T-dubs. I, I think it's, again, we've seen two sequels, the billion dollar movies flop. And I think for the same reason on both sides is that there's no clear direction forward. Fans, don't have that level of anticipation, not just for the film itself, but for where it's going. Um, because these are characters with extensive histories. There are so many stories to adapt here. They can pick and choose, but you have to be decisive about it. Um, and I, and again, I think that's what the Marvel movies nailed. The DC movies have not capitalized on it, uh, you know, with their storied history. And, and it's tough. I, I think it's going to be an uphill battle. I know a lot of people are saying now with the Deadpool trailer out that, oh, this is going to save the MCU. I think it could be a big positive if that movie does well. Um, it could help right the ship a bit. But until they find a way to bring in that overarching narrative that ties all these properties together and gets everyone kind of rowing in the same direction, they can be in different lanes. They've even come through, you know, different streams. But as long as everything's rowing in the same direction, um, it works and people will show up. That's how you get uh, a billion dollars out of a Captain Marvel movie. Yeah. Right. It's because pe it's and I don't I'm not saying it's, oh, you had to see it before, you know, you could see the next movie. No, it's that you wanted that part of the story. It's it's not an assignment. It's just like everyone's excited to see how that's going to play in. I, mean, I think they, they, that's a great, and I'm, I mean, sorry to cut in here, Tito's, but that's that's amazing what they managed to do there to get people interested in the Guardians of the Galaxy, for example. Well, yeah, and that's you want the, to know how, how does that tie in? That's the point I wanted to touch on because, so when Gunn was hired by Marvel, you know, he'd been doing his own thing. He'd been making his his sort of off the wall movies, uh, and the expectations for Guardians was weren't particularly high, and it wound up being beloved. Um, James Gunn, the fabulous writer, and he went on to make two good sequels to that movie. And the Suicide Squad movie he did was good. But he, in my mind, he's never been under more pressure than he is for Superman Legacy to oh. knock it out of the park. Because if it isn't spectacular, everything goes to shit. Everything hinges on this movie. So... I yeah. mean, I'm, I'm nervous in multiple ways. Like, even sure. if I love it and it makes no money, then what happens, right? Yeah. Because Batman Where do you go? Batman, not making a billion dollars, 
created a ripple effect of some of the dumbest decisions executives have made in maybe the history of film. And so what's going to happen when you got this dickhead who runs WB now, who's outright deleting films for tax write-offs. Mm -hmm. Like that guy does not like come across to me as having a sound mind when it comes to business decisions. So let's well, say Superman legacy makes 500. Does he's like, well, not good enough. Well, sure. And we've seen what Gunn has done with like lovable losers. Superman's not a lovable loser. Like that's not that kind of character. So what are you going to do with it? Also, Superman can be charming. I don't need Superman to be Star-Lord. You know, he loves making no. these characters that are, they have emotional depth, but they're, they also hide behind the humor far yeah. too often. That's not Superman to me. Superman can be very charming. He can be clever. Yada, yada, yada. He, he should be relatively stoic. Yeah. yeah. And I think another thing you mentioned earlier, and I'll just add to it as, as again, another layer to my like, Hey, you have to have like a, everybody rowing in the same direction. The teasers and the cameos used to mean stuff. Now they feel like throwaways. And it's like, that used to be a key part of the storytelling was yeah. like, here's what's coming. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, what are they going to do with it? And now it's just all like it's it's toss away stuff. You, we you gotta have no see clue. how they do that. And honestly, yeah. I guess we'll find out sooner than later when this creature commando show comes out. But again, like, isn't that risky in itself? Launching this whole thing with a friggin' cartoon uh, that no one that no one cares that about. Nobody and like one of the I, characters. And I, listen, I I said James Gunn, fabulous writer, seems like a nice guy. I love most of his movies. One of the creature commandos is a child murderer. The weasel wow. was a child murderer. <laughs> it's like that's why the weasel was in prison. That doesn't scream charming to me. I mean, who hasn't killed a child or two between friends? Uh, Family usually, friendly yeah. romp, but odd to say the least. That'd be you're like, yeah, hey, here he is, the guy that murders children. Uh, so go ahead, Blake, continue. <laughs> All right, well. Uh... You know, nothing says let's end the segment like uh, a few sentences on child murderers. I think, listeners, that it is time for us to take a break. So we are going to go get a, a reset, recharge our batteries, and we're going to come back for the competitive portion of the pod. We'll see you after the break. Cheers. Welcome back, listeners. We are continuing our 226th episode of Hops and Box Office Flops as we look at 2023's Blue Beetle. We have gone over the film, we've given our beer ratings, and we have answered our lingering questions. So that means we are now on to the competitive portion of the pod with our Kaji Da Trivia Challenge. Tonight, you'll be playing for that dope-ass Ted Cord tracksuit that Jaime wore when he and Jenny went to her childhood home. Unfortunately, there weren't a lot of, like, great short exclamations that uh, really stuck in my memory. So tonight, your chime-ins are just any of the pod standards or, I don't know, yell Blue Beetle or something, whatever you want to do. Dude, but there wasn't, there wasn't any good Susan Sarandon quotes? Lieutenant Carapax. Lieutenant Carapax. I just want to fix you. Gentlemen, are you ready? I'm ready, man. I, I'm ready to... Blue Beetle? 
I'm ready to squat in public in that tracksuit, just awkwardly, like on the street, just like get down low like a slav. Oh, I thought you were like, I thought you were making like a public urination joke. Yeah. What did you do do to the taco? What did you do to the taco? Hey, man, I'm telling you, just brakes, tires, and oil changes, and that taco will run forever. It's got that that yo motor in it. Mm -hmm. All right, gentlemen, on to the quiz. Question number one. Now, I know that you guys caught the big-ass sword from Final Fantasy VII when he was going through his weapons. Did you guys see that one? Cloud mm-hmm. Strife, yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. But before that, Kajida creates a weapon based on an iconic movie gun. Which gun was it? Ooh. Was it A, the DL-44 blaster pistol, Stormtrooper gun, from Star Wars. Was it the EM1 railgun from Eraser? Was it the Zorg ZF1 from the Fifth Element? Or was it the BFG 3000 from Doom? Mm, farts and tarts. Chumzilla. I have no clue, but in my heart, I want it to be C. The Zorg ZF1 from the Fifth Element. Yes, much like our 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 favorite cheating pistol on the uh, new season of Fortnite. Mm-hmm. Chumpzilla, that is correct. Yes, it, it, that fits, and that's a great movie, folks. It's ah, so good. Yeah, it's. I, I can't believe that's a flop. There's no reason for that movie to be a flop. It's better than Blue Beetle. It oh yes, undoubtedly. It's got Gary Oldman. Always a good, always, always a winner in my book. Yeah, Gary. By the way, uh, listener, S- check Steven out the Gary Ex- Oldman wrestling <laughs> clips. They're so hilarious. <laughs> it, 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 Gary Oldman standing at full height, always good. Yes, yes, always not on good. his knees. Not as good. Not sitting in a space couch, preferably. <laughs> yeah. All right, moving on. Question number two. Now, I mentioned earlier that Blue Beetle was the worst performing of the DCEU movies. Although, I guess, is it DCEU? Is it new DCU? I don't know how what they're calling Guns New Universe, but... It, nobody knows. Of the DC movies, it is the worst performing. What did it beat to the bottom? As in, what is the second worst performing of the DCEU movies? Is it A, Shazam, Fury of the Gods? Is it B, The Suicide Squad? Is it C, Wonder Woman, 1984? Or is it D, Birds of Prey? Farts and Tarts. Chumpzilla. I think it's The Suicide Squad. That, Chumpzilla, is incorrect. Damn. That man's a fascist. Damn, that, that that's the chime in right there. I know, I know, but it's gonna be my it's gonna be my uh my outro. So. Okay, okay. <laughs> so it's fine, it's uh, fine, but I it's the only good one liner, I didn't leave it in. <laughs> what you got, T dubs? Okay, it uh so I know Birds of Prey did not do particularly great, but it did better than the Suicide Squad. So I believe it's Wonder Woman 84 because that was still at the height of the pandemic. Really. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Damn. That is an excellent guess. However, it is incorrect. What? 
The answer was A, Shazam, Fury of the Gods. That only pulled in 133.7 million. The Suicide Squad was 168.7. Wonder Woman 84 was 169.6. And Birds of Prey was 205.3. Wow. Uh, Birds of Prey rules. It's a good movie. Uh, um, the Suicide Squad also rules. The other two also rules. Fairly middling. So fairly middling. I I like both of them, uh, but I Wait, acknowledge you, that they're both not good. You like Wonder Woman eighty four? I do. That's a that one's that one's it's more not shocking good. than Shazam two, which Shazam two is mostly still fun. It's just Leave Levy's going way like he doesn't even seem like an actual human anymore. He's yeah, it's like, like he's like carrot top now. <laughs> I, I I haven't seen that, but uh, Wonder Woman eighty four that is the biggest drop off. Oh yeah, in a superhero sequel I have ever seen, and not all the Marvel like like Thor one fine, Dark World meh, that's nothing compared to the drop off between Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman eighty four. It's just bafflingly bad. Yeah, like, and, like, like, did Patty Jenkins like, like pick up a drug habit? Like. I still like I like eighty four better than I like Dark World. I tell you that much. Uh, All right, man, that that movie's dumb as hell. Which one? The Wishing Stone. The Wishing Stone. (laughs) I wish Steve Trevor was alive. Even even Pedro Pascal. Well, now hold on here. Uh, Chris Pine is pretty dreamy, so I mean, I always I can understand some of the motivation there. Super duper dreamy. Although you have to realize she's never actually looking at him. She's looking. Looking at the other gentleman with the ascot. Yeah. And, fr- and frankly, Pedro Pascal's right there. I mean, he's right there. I mean, oh God, it's just such a stupid movie. It's like it was made in the mid 90s. That's how I, dumb it is. I, I, I think there were some choices made there that just, yeah. Anyway, moving on. Moving on. Question number three. It is one to nothing. Chumpsilla. Booyah. When. Jaime and Jenny go to her dad's house. Jaime wears one of Ted's tracksuits, the very same one that you are playing for tonight. That tracksuit is monogrammed T-S-K. Obviously, Ted Cord. But what's his middle name? Is it A? Barts and Tarts Slim Jim. It's not Slim Jim. Oh, geez. Is it A, Sam? Is it B, Spencer? Is it C, Simon, or is it D, Stephen? Mm, I should know Ted Cord's middle name, but I do not. I'm going to go, I believe, was it C, Simon? C, Simon is incorrect. The answer was D. Hey, I was going to say that. My Slim Jim chime in was not real. Oh, too bad. That, uh, I'm sorry. There's I'm no calling this point because that was going to be my pick. All right. We're going to give it to you. Chumzil, you got a bonus point, though. Let's go. To Damn. whom is Stephen a nod? This is your bonus question. The name Stephen is a nod to. To whom? Stephen E. DeSouza, the screenwriter that wrote Street Fighter 1996 and Die Hard. That is incorrect. Damn it. That's a deep pull, though. Uh... Uh, to to Simon and Schuster. Do you want to? Do you want to? It, it, it was Steve. Do you so want to? It was Stephen. Middle name. <laughs> oh, oh I, I, I still think it was. Think, yeah, sorry. Think comic book creators. Yeah, I, I was trying. 
Steve Ditko. Right. Steve Ditko. Oh, oh, Boom. oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah nice. Yeah. You're not getting that bonus point, T Dubs. Well, no, no. really, just give me that point because the other one you gave Fine. the answer. So. You get one point. You got yeah. one point. It's tied up going into yeah. question four. Despite playing his mother, Adriana Barraza, Nana Reyes, is actually younger than Damien Alcazar, the actor who played Alberto. Hmm. By how much? Is it A, one year? Is it B, two years? C, three years, or D, four years. Batman's a fascist. T-dubs. I'm just going with C, three years. Hey, when in doubt, guess C. You are correct, sir. She is three years younger than the man who played her son, which just goes to show you that women cannot age in Hollywood because no, they... No, no, no. Bullshit. <laughs> yeah. 40-year-old women get cast as 75-year-old women. Mm. You're a grandma now. She did get to use a Gatling gun, though. She was kind dope. of a boss. Dude. She was awesome. Yeah, she's a revolutionary. All right. Two to one going into question five. When are you guys going to get the pants? When are you guys going to get the, bo- the top? Our setting, Palmera City, was created just for this movie. But where are the Blue Beetle comics set? Is it A? Miami. Is it B, El Paso? Is it C, Los Angeles? Or is it D, San Antonio? Huh. I'm going to take the stab here, T Dubs. I'm going to take one for the team. Give them to me one more time, Blake. You have once is never enough with a host like you. It checks out. All right. Your choices are A, Miami. B, El Paso, C, Los Angeles, or D, San Antonio? We Hold on. Point of clarification. Which version of the character are we talking about? Jaime Reyes. Okay. But it's still, the, go, same, still the same city. That got, gotcha. No, I'm going to go with D, San Antonio. That is incorrect. No! This isn't like the cord junk. It's <laughs> my tech. Uh, I mean, Miami? That was what I thought too, but it is incorrect. Wait, wait! Don't tell me it's L.A. It is not L.A. Oh, damn! It's El Paso, Texas. In fact, this movie did get a premiere, and it was in El Paso, Texas. Where's this movie set? Palmera City is it's a supposed to be Miami. It's a yeah. fictional city uh, that looks a lot like Miami, but it's okay. supposed to be more like yeah. El Paso. But yeah, it's clearly Miami. Miami, yeah, that's why I thought. Like, but like, yeah, I knew that wasn't like canonical, but okay. Yeah, they created. Dang. Uh, the other thing they created for this movie was the was the character of Victoria Cord. She does not exist in the comics. Yeah, it's a it's another it's a dude. It's Ted's brother. That's the douche nozzle in the books. I yeah. believe. Uh, well, Ted Ford built this in a cave with a box of scraps. T Dubs, you're getting that tracksuit. And love now track you know suits. what the S stands for in that monogramming. So, yeah, people ask you, you can Steven. answer accurately. All right. Well, that concludes the quiz portion of the pod. And that brings us up to recommendations. So, what do you have on tap for us tonight? We'll let the winners go first. T Dubs. Okay. Double dose of Nick Cage coming at you. Boom. I watched wow. Butcher's Crossing, uh, which is uh, based on a 1960 novel about a uh, young 
college student who travels in the late uh, 1800s into the Western Territory. He wants to have a real-life experience of going on a buffalo hunt. Uh, Nicholas Cage happens to be the hunter that takes him on this experience as they sort of devolve into madness and or Nicholas Cage is overcome with greed. Uh, it's a really good look into the wastefulness of the fur trade in the American West. Uh, it's a good, nice little small movie. It's well shot. Uh, it's beautiful looking at times. And uh, you'll learn a lot about uh, how close we came to buffalo or bison being extinct and how we've been able to, uh, with the help of a lot of good people, have been able to get that population back up uh, to a, a much more uh, safe number. But it's a good movie. Check it out. And then I watched Dream Scenario. Hold on, T-Dubs. I want to point out here real quickly. One of those not-so-good people helping out is Ted Turner. Stole it. Yeah. Ted, Ted used to own the ranch next to the ranch that I worked on in New Mexico. Yeah. yeah. He, he's got a chain of restaurants that serve bison steaks and bison burgers. And I'll tell you what, man, they are delicious. I've eaten a lot of bison steak and and Ted Turner's, uh, what is it? Uh, Montana Grill. Is that what it's called? Yeah, he's got that. Yeah, Ted's. Ted's Montana Grill. Whatever. Yeah, those are good. Good time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, the burgers fantastic. The steaks are great. And they're pickles. They oh, like homemade okay. pickles. Uh, yeah. Top notch. Anyway. Uh -huh. Go on. In any event, the fur trappers generally wasted the majority of the buffalo. Um, Fun fact: uh, fur trapper was my nickname in college. That, I, I, I have right. questions that I yeah. don't necessarily want answered. All right, uh, trapper, trapper Blake. Uh, so my second one: dream scenario, the Nicolas Cage film where he's sort of a schlubby college professor that people start to dream about kind of a cautionary tale about uh, not getting caught up in fame and also the dangers of uh, losing sight of what's important in life. It was really good. He He's great in it. He's just, he's fantastic in the movie. Uh, I really love Neurotic Cage. And he was really good in this movie. So check out Dream Scenario. You can rent that for six bucks now. Butcher's Crossing, I, I wound up buying for $8, but you can also rent that for like four bucks. But I, you know, if you get a movie down below 10, I, I'm interested in it. I'll just buy it. So it's a weakness. Yeah, fair enough. Double dose of cage. Check them out. Awesome. Thank you. Chumpy, what do you have? Well, I finally got around to watching 2016's Hunt for the Wilder People. It's uh, Taiki Waititi's, uh, uh, one of his earlier films. It's a funny melodrama starring the kid from Deadpool 2 and Sam Neill. Um, basically it's like a road movie. They end up on a bit of a journey together. Um, I won't spoil it because if you haven't seen it, it's worth watching. Um, it's a movie with a lot of heart and it's got a great sense of humor. It's a little surreal. It's kind of like, uh, it's like a lighter version of like, uh, uh, a Wes Anderson movie. You know, it's a little surreal, but it's got a light tone, uh, but it does get a little dark. And it, like I said, it's got a lot of heart. Um, it, it's a fun movie. It's 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. And uh, of course, it's free on Tubi. So if you haven't seen Hunt uh, for the Wilder People, uh, you should check it out. It's it's fun. Awesome. All right. Yeah, I, I have seen that one and I, I liked it, too. It's a good movie. Sam Neill. Always uh, good. He's great. He's great in it as the gruff uh, father figure. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Good recommendations. All right. Uh, for me, 
I'd say mine are probably a little bit boring, uh, but as you know, I, I love television and you may not know, I love the Ted movies. So be sure to check out the Ted TV show on Peacock. It's pretty funny. Uh, you know, it's on Peacock, so they get to to drop all the F-bombs, much like the Ted movie. So it, it, it does a good job. It's not bad. It's getting good reviews. Yeah. Um, I forget what I heard. Somebody said the CGI was better in that than most of the superhero movies that are coming out right now. So that's something. Yeah, it's uh, sad sad affairs. Although the CGI in Blue Beetle for a movie that only cost like 105 to 120 million, this movie looks really nice. So it it, it does look very good. Uh, The other thing I've been watching, uh, again, kind of boring, but it is a documentary series on Netflix called Alexander the Making of a God. And it's about Alexander the Great and his conquests of Asia. Um, I think it got some some conservatives all riled up because oh, yeah. they, they really yeah. delve into his, uh, his homosexuality. Big, big mad yeah. that he slept with men. And they're like, that didn't happen. It's like, oh, it very much did. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Captain Cash is not here, so I'll ask the question. Too gay or not gay enough? I mean, I think it's fine. Think I, appropriately you, gay. That's how it really works. Gay. Yeah. Well, they, they, they address it early on where they're like, you know, the Greeks didn't even have a word for homosexuality like there was just yeah you were just you were just sexual and it didn't matter who you were sexual with so it's almost as if it doesn't actually matter and you should just let people live their lives and do whatever makes them happy weird yeah it's yeah. not hurting as long as strange concept anyone else i don't i don't uh, like this i fear change i fear change <laughs> uh and i will say they do a good job of some of the dramatizations on this show. It's obviously not super well acted. It's a Netflix documentary series, but you know, I I watch a lot of those kind of like like TV documentaries shows. Uh, to help me go to sleep at night, and so this one is is pretty good. I I, I mean, I'm liking it. Can I just say that every time I come across it, all I hear is Val Kilmer saying "Alexander, be reasonable" <laughs> from the crappy Oliver Stone movie. <laughs> it's a great movie. Oh, speaking of Oliver Stone and Val Kilmer, though, I did rewatch The Doors the other day. That movie's so dang good. It's good. It's good. Great movie. All right. Remember, listener, you can find the show on Facebook, Twitter, Threads, and Instagram at Hops and B.O. Flops. You can find The Thunderous Wizard on Twitter at WriterTLK. Captain Cash is at C-A-P-T-C-A-S-H on most of your social media. And Chumpzilla is Chumpzilla8 on Twitter. I can be found at HBOF Bling Blake on threads and Instagram. And McCheese, if you can find him at all, the search continues at HBOF McCheese on X. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. And connect with us on social media to share ideas for future episodes. In the end, listeners, remember one thing. Batman's a fascist. We will see you next week for the second entry of Hops and Superhero Flops 2023 edition with The Flash.